0: By DFS Prime Lineups, who continues to strive to be the best in the daily fantasy sports world. Please give our podcast a review and visit our site at www.dfsprimelineups.com and view all of our offerings from daily cheat sheets to daily, weekly, or monthly prime picks for DraftKings or lineups for FanDuel. Take 10% off now with the promo code PRIME10. Now, let Get started with today's podcast and please be aware of the date and time it was posted, as there can always be significant breaking news that can impact opinions and strategy.
1: All right. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the return edition of MMA Cheat Sheet Live. This is Brandon Arcade, and I am joined by Chris Bloodrain39. And this is our returning episode. Uh, We've been gone for quite a few cards. Life's been kind of busy. Everybody's been doing their own thing. But we definitely wanted to touch on the New Year's Eve card. It's uh, one of the biggest cards of the year, even though it could have been bigger. Thanks, USADA and Nevada State Athletic Commission for Yanking Cain Velasquez. I miss the old days when uh, it didn't matter if you had a broken leg or a broken finger or, you know, some weird disease, they'd still let you fight because you needed to earn a paycheck. But, uh... (laughs) I guess uh, times are changing uh, I am joined, like I said, by Chris. We are back in the mix of things. Ridge was unable to join us tonight because we had sort of a bunch of conflicting schedules. But I think we're going to be able to do just fine tonight, considering that we're whittled down to 10 fights this card. Kind of disappointing, considering it is the end-of-the-year card. And for DFS purposes, I'm not a big fan of 10-fight cards. I'd much prefer having 13 or 12 just uh, mixes up the ownership and the variance and, and, you know, you can really find a lot more value in my opinion. Uh, Chris, anything you want to add to the opener before we get started here on this card? No, just
0: looking forward to it. We've got some uh, some kind of uh, trends we're going to be seeing in this uh, fight here. A lot of fighters kind of showing the same...
1: Things. So you kind of just want to pay attention to that Yeah, definitely there's a there's a lot of themes going through this card uh, It's almost a cut-and-dry card in my opinion. Uh, a lot of the favorites are the favorites and they'll probably win and I, I Haven't seen too much value in the undercard uh, a Lot of fights in my opinion are going to go to the decision and the ones that are going to end up in a finish are actually already overpriced Um With that said, I I definitely think that something crazy can happen. We are talking about fist fighting. Uh, I lost my list here for just a split second. Wanted to touch on pricing just a little bit. Uh, Anything that stands out off the top, uh, even though we'll touch on each fight, I just wanted to point out that there is a couple of value plays that are in the mid-700s, but not anything that I'm too excited about. I'm more interested in uh, guys like John Lineker, uh, you know, uh, maybe a Nico Price, but um, even him I'm just not too big on. Uh, It's hard to really, excuse me, ooh, big dinner. Uh, For me, like a guy like Tarek Safadine, you know, there is a little bit of value, especially if you're a Cody Garbrandt fan, considering all the shit talk that he's put out there on uh, Dominic Cruz. But uh, I guess let's just jump right into this card. Uh, the first fight of the night is going to be Tim Dirty Bird Means, and he's going up against um, – gosh, I lost him already. He's right here in front of me. Oh, yeah, Alex Cowboy Oliveira. And we were actually just talking about this off the air, trying not to be biased. But, like, it, for me personally, as an MMA fan first, I am just not a fan of Cowboy Oliveira. Uh, after his shenanigans and Miss Weight against Phil Brooks – or, excuse me, Will Brooks. Sorry, CM Punk. No Phil Brooks on this card. Uh, i'm I'm just not a fan of the guy Uh, i'm not a fan of his antics i'm not i'm not a fan of, of his fight iq i just i think that he's bad for the sport and if it wasn't for his win over will brooks i think that this would be a fight where he would end up getting cut uh my personal opinion on the matter is uh tim means even though he's susceptible to pretty much any takedown from any fighter in any weight class. I think he knows how to use his reach and his length, and I look forward to seeing Tim Means whip out some tricks. Uh, He's got some crazy submissions to go with, probably, in my opinion, some of the best elbows in the UFC since Kenny Florian. Uh, Tim Means is 26, seven and one. Alex Oliveira is 15, uh, three and one. Pricing for me, uh, I personally think that Tim Means does have some value. Uh, My prediction for this fight is Tim Means getting a triangle submission from the bottom because I think Alex Oliveira is going to be a little too eager for the takedown, and I think Tim Means knows that. He's one of the smartest, craftiest guys in the UFC, and he's not afraid to lose in order to win. So we could be seeing Tim Means lose the first two rounds just so he can find the right opportunity to catch, catch Alex Oliveira after he gasses because Oliveira can gas from time to time. Uh, I don't have too many positive things I can say about Oliveira in terms of his skills, so I guess I'll pass it on to Chris to see if maybe he's got something nice he could say. Um, well, he trains an American top team. <laughs> period,
0: period, 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 period. Yeah, I know. It's pretty much all I can say. I really got nothing else to say about the guy either. I just... I, I don't... You know, and this is, you know, I've actually... I'm glad that I looked at this, you know, without bias. Because even still... I still think Tim means win this. Um, I'm describing the way he strikes with his elbows as beautiful. He's got beautiful elbows. Yes, I use the word beautiful for a man's elbows, and I'm not saying that in a gay way. I honestly think the way he strikes with those elbows is just amazing. He's got great patience with his strikes, too, and he's showing that, too, Um, especially in his last fight. He was just so patient and didn't get himself into any trouble where a lot of fighters, they see somebody hurting, They just rush in and act stupid and not Tim Means. Like you said, he's extremely smart. You know, came out that he out of suspension. Yeah, I guess Hamasi, that's who he fought against last. But, you know, he looked really good in that fight. Uh, I don't know what happened there, why he came back. It looked so good. But it doesn't look good for Alex Oliveira if he's going to be facing that level of Tim Means. Um, But, 8400 definitely probably one of the top guys that's going to be in our lineup, you know, as far as, you know, if we're going to come up with a value pack, pack, three-pack. If he doesn't make the three-pack, he's one of the guys I think can make it in as a fourth or fifth guy for the lineup. So Tim means by prop, I'm going to say second round finish somehow. And I think even if Alex Oliveira takes him down, those elbows are so nasty. He's going to land those elbows even on his back, and they're going to cut up Oliveira. Well, I honestly think he just gets cut up and it's either a doctor stoppage or a referee stoppage of some sort in the second round. My official pick.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I actually I'm like I said, I think Tim Means has the best elbows since Kenny Florian. Uh, the guy cuts people from the top from the bottom. I mean, as much as I think that he's gonna let Oliveira take him down and then try to lock up like a triangle from the bottom or maybe even transition to a triangle arm bar. I mean, he could throw like a spinning back elbow because his reach actually permits him to do such a thing against a guy like Oliveira. So, I mean, there is even a chance that Tim Means could catch him on the feet. I'm, in my opinion, Tim Means with his reach, he might have the better stand-up out of these two guys. Uh, I don't see a lot of value at all in Alex Oliveira, even if I'm just being unbiased. At 7,800, uh, it, it is an enticing price tag if you consider the fact that uh, Ronda Rousey is also 8,400, the same as Tim Means. Only her uh, opponent Amanda Nunez, is 8,000. So I find I found the pricing to be very unique on this fight. You've got 84 and 78, but then you've got 84 and 8,000. And I know we'll touch on that fight way later in the card, but pricing-wise, like DraftKings is being a little wonky on this one, in my opinion. Uh, I think if you were to choose between Ronda Rousey and Tim Means at 8,400. Uh, Tim Means is probably the better pick for cash games. But overall I just oh, I just can't see it a situation where Oliver comes out on top in this one unless he just manages to avoid submissions. But we're talking about a guy who taps before a submission is even in place. So I mean yep. yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> it, against, yeah, against Calvo Cerrone. The guy didn't even I mean and even if he would have locked it in,
0: you could still put up a Against the thing, there's things you can do technique-wise to break triangle chokes and things like that. At least put in the effort. I mean, I've, I've got, I've got maybe a white belt in
1: jiu-jitsu and I could have fought that harder than he did. It was embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, the first thing they teach you when somebody puts you in an arm triangle is a technique called answering the phone, and it's where you put your hand and your wrist up to your ear. And you try to press your elbow in a way that applies reverse pressure. And it looks like you're answering an old school telephone. The guy didn't even try. It's like he landed into the position and immediately started tapping. I mean, so the, the moral of the story is Alex Oliveira is a quitter. And I just, I can't put any of my money, especially in DFS and a quitter. I just, I can't do it. I don't know if you can, but I'm not into quitters. Nope. No, I don't put my money on quitters. we even got another
0: quitter coming up here in next fight or two that we'll be talking about, and I won't have probably any shares, well I don't want to say any shares because of how much talent this guy has, we'll get into it later, but yeah, it, Oliveira does not have the talent that this next guy we'll talk
1: about does, and we can, I think we can move on from this fight. Absolutely, yeah, I just, that's again, the bias started to come out because I get riled up at the fact that Oliveira is such a quitter on top of his just terrible personality, I mean, the guy is just a tard. And I mean that in, the, in, the, in any way you can take it other than being offended. The guy, the guy is a tard. <laughs> well, he can be offended. If Olivera somehow listens to this, he's allowed to be offended. Absolutely. We want him to be offended. And absolutely, yes. Uh, I just hope that nobody took offense to that. So moving on, uh, the next fight of the night is Brandon Thatch uh, versus newcomer Nico Price. Uh, for me personally, Brandon Thatch at 9000 versus Nico Price at 7200 I, I just, I, I have a hard pick. I have a hard sell on either side here because of Thatch's price and because of Nico Price's uh, abilities. I have watched all the tape you could possibly watch on Nico Price. And to me, he just seems like an overexcited wrestler who has okay takedowns. But at the end of the day, he doesn't really know how to land punches in an effective manner. I mean, he, it's like he doesn't actually know where the target is. I don't know if you watched that one fight. He, he had that fight against the uh, the black guy whose stand-up uh, was really strong in the Muay Thai. But at the end of the fight, he ended up hitting the guy in the back of the head like 18 times. And it's more of a testament to how bad the rep was in that fight for not catching it and stopping it before the illegal blows. But the point is, Nico Price, like, he doesn't have any fight IQ. And I talk about that a lot because in DFS, like, Fight IQ is what scores points. And he's not – he just doesn't do it. I mean, I'm not big on this kid making a UFC debut against an explosive striker like Thatch who, even though he's fallen on hard times, you know, he still is capable. You know, Thatch is a fairly young guy. He's got a fairly decent record. I mean, he's 11-4, and but he's fought some of the best up-and-coming prospects in the 170-pound division. Uh the negative side about Thatch is his price and the fact that he's going up against a wrestler who probably can take him. Oh, we lost Chris. <laughs> Hang on, everybody. Let me bring him back. Uh, uh, the situation with Thatch, you know, it, it's just not very promising to me with his price tag. Two, six,
0: one, three, four, seven. <laughs> it's not available at the tone.
1: Hey, are you back? I am back. That was great. I called you back and uh, I got your voicemail, so I just let everyone listen to your voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, where I was at was I was uh, explaining the fact that I can't justify Thatch's price. Uh, at 9000 and the highest priced guy on the card, I know that he's going up against an inexperienced striker, but I feel like Nico's price, or Nico Price's wrestling will actually negate lot of what thatch brings to the table in terms of dfs volume uh if i I do think thatch wins this fight that's my official prediction thatch wins this fight in some fashion but i don't think that for nine thousand he lands enough volume to justify the price uh do i see a hundred point score here not really i mean unless he like somehow catches the kid or the kid comes in with just the worst case of octagon jitters we've ever seen which could happen Uh, I just think that Thatch will end up cruising in this fight to some some form of a decision. Maybe a lot of, like, stand and bland up against the cage, grind him out. And Thatch's dirty boxing does not produce volume. If anything, he just sort of stalls and waits for an opportunity to be explosive at at his distance. But I think Price, at best, this is a short-notice fight for him in a UFC debut against a vet. It's just not a good situation there. And even though he's the lowest Price guy on the card, Nico Price, in my opinion, is not something I want to touch. Uh, what's your opinion on Thatch and Price? I actually disagree with you in some sense, and I think Price actually has quite a bit of GPP upside. Thatch, I am I am horrified at this guy's technique. I'm horrified at a takedown defense. You watch this fight against Gunnar Nelson. This is
0: the definition of low fight IQ right here way he just sat there in front of him he just kept like it was just it's almost like he was getting mad at nelson for not engaging so he kept dropping his hands and i'm like and he would just like drop his hands and then put on and then just kind of drop him and just kind of like oh, are you gonna do something oh are you gonna do something and then he dropped him i think i want to say like the third time he kind of did that and gunner just popped him with a one-two combination and dropped him
1: That happened with Brandon Thatch was he thought that he could out-muscle and actually out-wrestle Benson Henderson when the two of them had their little fight at 170 pounds when Benson Henderson was trying to like up his contract value before ditching the UFC to go to Bellator. Uh and I think that pretty much knocked the wind out of his sails. I mean, it was his first time in a five-round fight, and Bendo got his back in the fourth round and choked him out. You know, it was just a classic situation where it didn't matter which weight class you were in. One guy's a better fighter. And Grant, I thought he looked pretty good in that fight, though. So no, he did. Definitely I did. I thought he looked really good in that fight. And something happened where Gunnar, when he fought Gunnar Nelson,
0: we don't even know if he made any progress or not because he fought him so, it was so stupid what he did there. I just, you know, it's one of those where that's going to, fights like that end up on YouTube in the, you know, collection type videos where it's like, okay, you know, cocky fighter gets beat up or. <laughs> you know, it ends up in a collectional video like that. St-
1: st- stupid thing that he did there. Yeah. And that- then his next fight, he, you know, he didn't look good again.
0: And I don't know. I, I mean, this is definitely a fight where if the UFC wants to build him up, they could have. But he was because of the fight, another fight the UFC wants to build up, and it didn't work out. So maybe this is a direction mm-hmm. where they just, they got the Nico Price. He's 8-0. can make Rabbit, you know, Brendan Thatch look good if he wins. Nice when oh hey now we got a nine nine zero fighter we can promote I don't know I, I I don't know what direction UFC is going on this but I don't
1: like either fighter Yeah it, for the pricing like if this fight was like eighty two to eight thousand then I might be interested in Brandon Thatch a little bit but for nine thousand as the highest price guy I'm just not into it And As for that Gunnar Nelson fight I think the problem happened there was the fact that he was so worried about Gunnar Nelson's world class jiu jitsu that he thought that he could handle him on the feet, and next thing you know, he got blitzed with that <laughs> sort of like you know Gunnar Nelson has that sort of stoic behavior where you don't think he's doing anything, and then all of a yeah. sudden, and all of a sudden, he's laying you out. It's very, uh, very Machita like the way Gunnar Nelson surprises people. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, in my opinion, I got to go with Thatch officially for the win. I'm okay with people but having. shit. this is why the low IQ comes into play. You should yeah. have known your opponent was going to
0: do that. And then you did it anyways and you got popped
1: for it. So there might have been some ego. But, you know, yeah, there might have been but some But again ego. it's going against a guy who has literally no technical skills whatsoever, no defense,
0: extraordinarily wild and yeah, you could easily get popped for it too. So I right, because this, this is I think this I think this fight ends in a finish.
1: I really do. Uh who do you got officially on the finish? You there, Chris? You know, this is I'm so torn on this
0: fight. Uh, this is.
1: That I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. I just think that we'll go on record and saying officially, uh, I, Thatch's price is what sort of makes him unappealing. But if you're into live dogs, Nico Price has the potential to, you know, why well, he has a chance to rise to his potential. I mean, he is an undefeated fighter, but we see undefeated fighters come and go in the UFC all the time. He's eight and no now, know. but he might be eight and two and looking for a job in the World Series of Fighting after this is over. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Next up on the card, we've got Mike Pyle versus Alex Garcia. Uh, Garcia is coming in uh, at 8,600, and in his swan song, Mike Pyle is coming in at 7,600. Uh, I really like Garcia's athleticism. I like his potential. I know we talk a lot about potential, but as a, as a fighter who's growing within the UFC, you know he's a he's a unique character coming out of Canada. Whereas Mike Pyle is is as crafty of a veteran as there's ever been in the ufc uh in fact i wish that he was 10 years younger just so we could see more of him uh mike pyle's early days were were quite crazy i mean he used i think he actually has a submission victory early in his career against carlos condit and not a lot of people have credit for that but uh me personally though i think Mike pile is way over the hill he probably should have retired after he got his last win whenever that was but you know again ego comes <laughs> ego comes into play and the guy keeps fighting because he needs a paycheck but Uh, For me, Alex Garcia's only uh, silver lining in his possible victory is his cardio. Uh, Alex Garcia's got big, he's a big muscular guy. Uh, He he tends to gas when he gets into clinch battles. But against Mike Pyle, I think Pyle's going to want to be flashy. He's going to want to try to leave it all on the table. So I got to expect a finish in this fight. And if Pyle doesn't somehow pull a rabbit out of the hat and catch him with either like a head kick or some sort of a spinning back fist, I see Garcia winning this handily. Yeah, for his price at eighty six hundred, I mean, he's a much better play volume wise than than a guy like Brandon Thatch at nine thousand. Just implied based on you know the scoring, uh, he even averages more. He averages seventy two point two points versus is fifty seven point one. So I mean, there is that. Uh, I'm big on Garcia for this fight. I would probably have him as a cash game play, and I don't have any problems with him in in GPPs. But there is guys around him that have more GPP upside. Uh, Garcia has the potential, though, for a 100-point score here. So uh, what's your opinion on this one?
0: Yeah, I I agree with you with Mike Pyle being way over the hill. He's 41 years old. I mean, isn't he old enough to be our grandpas at this point? You know, he's lost four of his last six fights and looking badly in almost every one of them. And what's hurt him, too, is he's a slow starter and every fighter knows it. I mean, this is, like, the number one scouting report you're going to hear on Mike Pyle is how slow of a starter he is. Um, His only wins in his last six fights are against uh, T.J. Waldberger, who hasn't fought since that fight and was actually on his decline and basically on his way out as well. And then he did beat Sean Spencer, um, who was the favorite in that uh, fight by a 140 minus 140 margin. So he did beat Sean Spencer, who is respectable. You know, he just did that not too long ago. Um, But he doesn't have.
1: You there, Chris. All right. So uh, Chris is experiencing some really bad uh, coverage by AT&T in Minnesota. I'm not sure exactly what's going on over there, but he was having problems earlier. We weren't even sure if we were going to get this podcast going. But uh, once Chris is able to rejoin us, uh, we'll definitely keep touching on that. Oh, he just dropped off again. So I'm going to let him call us back. I do apologize for the technical difficulties, everybody. Uh, so on paper, I believe both of us are picking Alex Garcia for the win. Uh, Mike Pyle, he just tends to wilt. You know, he beats nobodies, but he loses to kind of somebody's all the way up to anybody who's anybody. So uh, Mike Pyle and his swan song, I would love to pick him, but I just can't do it. Uh, for DFS purposes, i got to go with Alex Garcia here. <clears throat> As we try to get Chris back on the air, um, let's see if I can give him a ring here. Uh, the next fight we're going to be touching on is uh, Carlos and, uh Jr. versus Marvin Vittori. Come on, Chris. Let's get an answer. And we're back. <laughs> oh, boy, that I lose again? Yeah, you were in the middle of a sentence, and then you were just gone. <laughs> uh,
0: sorry about that, folks. Well, we are in the middle of a bad storm here in Minnesota again.
1: And we're just, yeah. And all, all we got here on the California coast is a couple of frozen windshields every now and then, but overall, we're, we're nowhere near as bad as what's going on in Minnesota, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Uh, basically I picked up where you left off and kind of summarized it as we're both big on Alex Garcia and Mike Pyle is just way over the hill. And there's just, I can't justify him in any lineups unless you're just totally going contrarian.
0: Right. Well, here's what I was going to say though, is because of Garcia's strength, this guy literally can get a takedown at will. I mean, all he has to do is just get a hold of you and you go down. He is not powerful. The guy is that strong. Um, his fight versus Strickland hurt him in the rankings, and I think this is more of a rebound fight for him than anything. Uh, this is a very talented fighter, and he needs—you know—he needs a boost of a fight, and this is a good fight for him. Not a good fight for Pyle. I think Mike Pyle probably his retirement fight. And again, like I said, we're going to be having some themes today, and retirement is one of them because we have another fighter we think
1: retires later on today too after that person's fight. Well, speaking of uh, guys that I kind of wish would retire, next fight on the card is Cara Sapo, Carlos Antonio Jr., going up against uh, Marvin Vittori. And I actually really like Marvin Vittori. He sort of caught us off guard. I know we were kind of like doing the whole prospect thing on him during the summer uh, when we did one of our earlier podcasts. Uh, but to me, any man who loses by TKO to Dan Kelly is no UFC fighter. And I know Cara DeSapo was all on, you know, tough Brazil and they love him down there because of who he is and all this other stuff. But me personally, I think Car DeSapo at seven and two might as well be two and seven. I mean, the guy's flat footed. His stand up is next to nil. And if it wasn't for his good jujitsu and sort of mediocre takedown abilities, he'd probably already be out of the UFC. Uh, Marvin Vittori, though, hits like a Mack truck. I mean, he, he doesn't care where it lands as long as it lands. And that sort of, like, go for broke mentality, and somehow he does that go for broke without actually gassing himself. So I'm actually really big on Vittori. I like his 11-2 and two record. It's fairly strong. He comes out of Italy, which is starting to produce some really good fighters. So for GPP, I'm all over Vittori here. What's your opinion on this fight? Yeah, I got Vittori in my cash lineup so far. I'm not pretty confident he wins like to um might
0: change the gpp just because antonio carlos jr he can just bore you like when you say he should be two and seven it's because he doesn't do anything in these fights a lot of time he can dominate from top position and when i say dominate from top position i don't mean he throws stripes. i don't even mean he goes to put the mission temp he just sits there and when you know even if he wins He's going to get, what is it, 25
1: points for the winner by decision. Yeah. And then he'll get a couple, maybe at best, a couple takedowns. Won't be any reversals because they will just sit there. Won't be any significant strikes because he's got no game. And he literally might get you 40 points for a win, if he wins. Um, he's done it before. <laughs> that might be a little bit. Yeah. But that's, his, that's the best I can say with him. Marvin
0: Fattori's got a high ceiling though, where he could easily – I think he can get a sub. I, more than likely, he would get the knockout, though. It would be, you know, knock him to the ground with a good punch and then get on top and ground and pound his way to victory. And, I honestly, I think that's going to be my official decision is Marvin Vittori get the winner, you know, by – probably by like stoppage somehow. Most, more than likely, AL in the first. So, I do
1: think he's got that kind of upside. Yeah, big on Vittori here. Uh, i can't think of a situation where he doesn't dominate carddas Sapo. he's the faster fighter and like you said like i i don't, I don't think he has the chance to submit card Sapo. but i think because because uh, carlos is so slow with his uh his ability to get submissions you know like he it's almost like he telegraphs each part of the process when the sub comes he's not a quick man at all and even though he's a jiu-jitsu black belt he just he just telegraphs himself so much that a young kid like Vittori with his speed and power, I think even if he was a white belt in jiu-jitsu, he'd be able to knock him down, jump into his guard, and pass guard before Karadisopo even had a chance to attempt a submission. I just don't see it happening for him. I got Vittori in a big way.
0: Yeah, and he's, in, he's a quitter, too. You know, He's another guy who doesn't seem to be able to take a beating very well, you know, the first the first hit that gets on him when he's on the ground, he's done. He's not going to try to get out of it. He's not going to, you know, he won't even try to, like, reach up and, like, grab you and pull you into the chest to stop the fight. He just turtles up and quits. Yeah. Um, he is big for his weight class. It started as a heavyweight when he was uh, when tough and has moved down to weight classes since and whatnot. But it's – I mean, it's really our only our – only things that we got for him is he's big for his weight class, which doesn't mean anything because he really doesn't know how to use his strength and power to knock people out and he doesn't have a good uh, stand-up game, and I don't think he's going to be able to... I I just think Marvin Vittori should be able to, even if even if Carlos Jr. got on top of him, I think Vittori should be skilled enough to not be laying there for three straight rounds and lose that way, so... Maybe, again, maybe, I, I guess, you know, what I was talking about earlier, there is some risk to it, but I don't think there's a lot of risk, which is probably why I'm in towards part of Atari for cash as well
1: as GPP. Absolutely. All right, before we waste too much time, we actually wanted to keep this thing at 30 minutes, but we're already at 30-minute mark, and we're just now approaching the halfway point of the card. So get yourself a cup <laughs> of coffee, everybody. I, I hope you're stuck in a traffic jam listening to this, because here we go for the second half. And at least we're getting into some really good fights now. The next fight is actually Johnny Hendricks versus Neil Magny. Uh, this, to me, is probably one of the most intriguing fights on the card. Uh, Johnny Hendricks is a former welterweight champion. Uh, Neil Magny is a former uh, tough castaway from, like, one of the obscure seasons in the teens. Excuse me. Ugh. Pardon. Pot stickers for dinner. Got to love them. Uh in fact, it, it, he was so bad on his season of tough that he got knocked out by an elbow strike up against the cage to Mike Ricci. Now, with that said, he did go on one of the craziest tears through the welterweight division we've ever seen, including uh, totally taking out uh, Hector Lombard, who used to be Bellator's 185 champion and had like a 31-3 and record at one point. Uh, Neil Magny has definitely improved, and he has the kind of fighter who has made strides towards greatness and has gotten himself into title contention, and and he's a top 15 guy for sure now. Uh, But Johnny Hendricks, he should win this fight easily. On paper, uh, just using MMA logic, Johnny Hendricks, this is supposed to be a, a fight that gets him back on track, gets him back on the winning path towards title contention, so that way he can be one of those guys to challenge for the 170 belt uh, Hendricks is a good matchup against anybody in the top half of that division, even guys that he's already lost to. I mean, who wouldn't want to see him fight Robbie Lawler again? I mean, it's just so fun watching those two guys beat the crap out of each other, but it's fun watching Robbie Lawler beat the crap out of anybody. Uh, for me, pricing wise, I was blown away that Hendricks was actually the dog. I see a lot of value in Hendricks, uh, especially at his price. I think, uh, do you have the price in front of you? I think it's like 7,600 on him. hold on, I can pull it up. Yeah, while you're pulling that up, Uh, I just wanted to touch on Johnny Hendricks' string of bad luck. I mean, the guy has fought a murderer's row, a who's who, throughout the division. I mean, and even his win, like his losses have been decisions until he fought like Wonderboy and I I really was dying to see him fight Tyron Woodley. Uh, In fact, I'd never seen anybody put it on Hendricks the way Wonderboy did uh, at that point, you know. He's always been able to take a punch and give a punch. But, You've definitely seen a change in his body mass. Like he's trying to lose weight in order to make weight because he used to have weight cutting issues. Uh, I see Hendricks coming in fit, and I hope that his body looks recovered for the weigh-in on on Thursday. Uh, otherwise, uh, I'm big on Hendricks pending the weigh-in. Uh, what do you What do you think about this fight against Magny? Wow, Magny has looked awful in his last couple fights. You know that Lombard fight. He actually him
0: first and that ref should have stopped it for actually both of the fighters had a you know pretty much looking at the referee like are you going to stop it this guy's not doing anything wasn't defending themselves intelligently and that referee would not stop the fight um for both fighters at one point Lombard had Maggie absolutely beat Referee should have stopped that fight at one point first and then he got tired Uh, which is kind of the thing that happens with Neil Magny. The guy is just tough as nails, so he can take a beating forever, and then his opponents gas out, and he kind of takes over. Well, it didn't work very well against Lorenzo Larkin in his last fight. He bullied him, and Magny clearly, you can see it, does not like to be bullied. He's got an 80-inch reach, which is, I believe, the longest of the division, and he wants to keep his distance. He is... You know, like a T.J. Dillashaw, shot down Cruz. Some of these fighters, he is going to keep his distance. And with an 80-inch reach and how skinny he is and how he doesn't really defend leg kicks very well. If you watch that fight against Larkin, those leg kicks were vicious. Absolutely vicious. Even Lombard was starting to get him in his fight with some leg kicks and stuff like that. Johnny Hendricks should probably, by all right, rights, if he's watching what I saw, hit him with 12 leg kicks and win the fight don't even have to hit him with anything else. If you hit him with 12 leg strikes, you'll win the fight. That's it. That's all it's going to take against this guy. He doesn't have the legs to take those types of shots because he's just so tough, skinny with the vision. Um, so I do see a lot of weaknesses in Neil Magny right now. As much as he was looking improved for a while. I feel like he has been exposed in his last couple of fights over what he kind of is. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to knock the guy in any way. These are what I see. The guy would absolutely destroy me if I was fighting him, so I'm not <laughs> going to. Follow it, apparently. Sonny good wrestler, good takedown, powerful strike, and it's, you know, he's has work. I think he's back with his old
1: wrestling coaches again. So it kind of makes me think that he's going to be—he really wants to get back to his old form again. Because I believe he was kind of doing his own thing for a while. Yeah, uh, yeah, he actually. This doesn't go well. I don't—I rarely will take a fighter if he's at—he or she
0: is at a bad camp and/or doing their own thing. That pretty much means I'm not going to take you if you do your own thing.
1: Well, that's sort of the red flag. That it's—I don't want to call it a red flag. Maybe it's like a yellow flag. But Hendricks is kind of back to doing his own thing, like based with his old wrestling coach. He's gone back to him before after a loss. You know, he went back to him after he lost to uh, Lawler. And then I think he went away again. He, he keeps bouncing back and forth. Uh, he made some bad business investments. He had a steakhouse that went under. But his wife was actually the one that told him to get back on the horse, Uh She basically put it out to him that he needs to fight in order for them to pay the bills. That was what I read between the lines in terms of the interview that he gave about it. Um, But to me, Neil Magny is the right kind of guy for him to get back on track with. Uh, Neil Magny loses to guys who are better than him, clearly, in one specific area. Uh, We lost Chris again, but we'll get him back. Um in terms of like the abilities that Johnny Hendricks has, on paper he should be able to finish the job on what Hector Lombard started. Uh, he just needs to be consistent, th- follow through with his punches. He he couldn't pull the trigger against Kelvin Gastelum, and he talks about that. You know that fight should have been an easy win for him, but Kelvin Gastelum keeps using his heart and his endurance to win fights, despite the fact that he also can never make weight. I mean it's a strange situation there. Uh, for me. I'm big on Johnny Hendricks to get the rebound here. Uh, Neil Magny, he's just not up to snuff when it comes to the top five of the division. But he's a centerpiece in the top 15. So that's kind of that's kind of where I stand on that. Let's get Chris back in here. Uh, next up, we're actually going to be talking about uh, Louis Smolka versus Ray Borg at 125 pounds. Nope. Oh. And then accept here we go. You there, Chris? I'm um, back. Yeah. And we're back. Well, I, I sort of put a conclusion on the Hendrix and Magnify. fight. Uh, ended it. I ended it with uh Hendrix with the with the caveat of him showing up at Weigh Ins looking like a sucked up, grizzled carcass. Uh, basically all over Hendrix, unless that happens.
0: Yeah, for the most part, I'm picking Johnny Hendricks for the win here. Uh, I might not say it happened like the second round
1: or something like that. I think Magnet is tough enough to survive, but Hendricks should win this fight. All right, next up we got Louis Smolka versus Ray Borg. This is a bit of a conflicting fight for uh, uh, everyone who's been sort of involved in picking the process. I know that I seem to be the odd man out in thinking that Louis Smolka has a legitimate chance to rebound after his freak loss to Brandon Moreno. Uh, for me, Luis Smolka is a legit uh, top 10 fighter at 125 pounds. I actually picked him to be fighting for the title at the end of this coming 2017. Obviously a big setback, losing to Moreno, who was the number, what, I think he was the 16 seed on the tough uh, champions tournament they had to determine who was going to fight Demetrius Johnson. Uh, But he just comes out of nowhere on short notice and beats a top 10 guy. I mean, that was pretty crazy. But that's... Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, we're talking like one of the most unlikely wins probably of the year. Uh, So, I mean, maybe that's burned Smolka to the point where a guy like Ray Borg, the Taz Mexican devil, got to love that nickname. (laughs) 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 So, I mean, I'm big on Ray Borg as a prospect. I love the kid and his tenacity and his ability to get on the inside and really pound on guys. His takedowns are great. Uh, And definitely he's going to be able to take down Smolka. Uh, But I feel like Smolka's reach, his submission game, outside of the Moreno fight. <laughs> uh, I think that he's got more advantages than Borg does, and I see him winning a decision. And it's probably going to be a high-volume decision. I mean, We're talking about 125-pounders. These guys just naturally throw more volume than any other weight class. So, I mean, that is, a, that is a good thing going for either guy. And actually, I'm totally fine with having either side of this fight, because even the loser could put up 60 points. Uh, what's your yeah. take on Borg versus, versus Smolka? Yeah, I think if... You're
0: the kind of guy who's got, if you're making two lineups, you have $400 left over and one of these guys is in your lineup. You make the other lineup, or one with Mocha and one with Borg, because the winner is going to score a lot of points in this fight. There's going to be a lot of takedowns. Uh, Borg is pretty susceptible to the takedowns, but he's very good at reversals. And this is where the DraftKings scoring comes into play here. You get 10 points of takedown. Ray Borg could easily get you five or six takedowns in this fight. You get five points of reversal. Alka could easily reverse along with Borg in reversals. And there might be... Ray Borg could probably, even if he loses this fight, could score. I think he's got a ceiling of 80-plus points in this fight with strikes, takedowns, and reversals. I think he could get almost 80 points in a loss. I think he's got that kind of potential. These guys are both very, very busy fighters. I'm giving the edge to Borg. Um, just cause I think he's getting better training. Um, he seems, I don't want to say he's, he's taking it more serious cause they're both taking very serious this is one of the most, this is, this is actually a huge fight, a huge fight for both of these guys, uh, directions right now. The loser takes a huge step back and the other going for the title here in the next six months. Um, uh, that, that's kind of how I feel. That's why I think, both. Well, this is just going to be a fantastic fight. But, you know, Smolka has just got so much talent. You watch him fight against Ben Wynn. He destroyed him. He destroyed Ben Wynn and looked like he's got a lot of talent. But, again, it's a takedown defense that is a little suspect to me. But I think for that reason, I think that I do favor Ray Borg just for, I think, you know, since it's going to turn into more of a Submission slash wrestling grappling type fight. I think I'd give it to Ed. Give the edge to Ray Borg in a decision win. Probably like a 29 is, Yeah, I mean I just gotta, gotta assume Smoker can probably win a round, but it's a close fight. Very close fight. I'm if I make two lineups, and I have four hundred dollars left over. And one of them's in there. I'm making second lineup
1: with the other fighter just to protect myself. Absolutely, I hundred percent agree with that. Uh... All right, next up is the fight that Ridge put an over-under at 8.5 Dong references. There's one. <laughs> We've got Dong Yun Kim versus Tarek Safedine. Uh, And for me, this is a very interesting fight. I actually am a big fan of both these guys in terms of their fighting capabilities and their personalities. Uh, to me, the interesting thing about this fight was the scoring. Uh, Tarek Safadine at 7,700 is, is definitely alive in a three round fight. I mean, he's a former Strike Force welterweight champion. Uh, he even has uh, some he has some really notable wins under his belt. Uh, not to mention, he's been in there with Tyron Woodley. Uh, he knows what to expect in almost any fight that's standing up. The only way to really beat Tarek Safadine is to hold him down and try to pound on him. And even though Dong Young Kim has that sort of uh or not jujitsu, excuse me, uh, his judo background, he doesn't rely on it. He likes to go crazy, he likes to throw flying knees and spinning back fists, and he likes to get into dogfights. And I don't think you can coax Tarek Safadine into a dogfight. He's just too much of a polished stand-up fighter. Uh, I actually, my official prediction, just to keep it short and sweet, is Tarek Safadine by 15 minutes of chopping the leg... I think he's just going to chop the leg of Kim straight out from underneath him, and it's going to be a frustrating fight to watch and a frustrating fight for Kim to fight in. Uh, what's your take on this one? I 100% agree. I, um, I want to take Kim so bad because of the
0: talent that he has, but he refuses to. It's like what Ronda Rousey has been doing her last couple of fights. You know, gotten away from her number one skill and decide to show up to the world my new toy that I have. Well, your new toy isn't very shiny, okay? It just isn't. So, now, okay. So you watch him against John Hathaway when he announced to the world that he was going to be crazy, psycho, stupid fighter now all of a sudden. But exciting, and the fans love him because of it. Um, he throws this. Spinning Elbow, which is I believe the first one in UFC history to knock out somebody and he wins KO of the Year award, I believe. Um, he tries to do something similar against Tyrone Woodley and literally if you, you watch I probably I probably watched that
1: that punch probably six, seven times because I laughed so hard every single time. Yeah. I'm not kidding. The guy spins around and gets rocked in the back of the head, just gets popped right
0: in the back of the head. Which I guess kind of illegal, but when you're spinning like that and you get, you there's nothing you can do. You're just gonna, you know, just easily, you put yourself in that situation. He got, he just got, he just got dropped. He just collapses. I'm just laughing because, like, you know, you want those stupid spinning punches like that at a guy who, you know, I, I feel like that type of technique only works when you got your opponent backing up and he's not an aggressive type fighter. And you can't do that against a Tyrone Woodley or you know somebody with that type of style. I don't know. It was a really unintelligent thing
1: to do, and he got popped for it. Man, Don so Young so- Kim <laughs> Don Young Kim fights like that guy at every house party you went to, when there's a guy who's like, I train in MMA, bro. I train in MMA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know how to fight UFC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm sure he's got the UFC shirt and everything. I mean, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, so... But no, he doesn't
0: check leg kicks very well, and I believe... Tarek Safadine has the highest thrown. Or high, it'd be like highest percentage of leg, leg kicks landed or highest thrown or something like that. I, I
1: should have. Yeah, he's thrown more leg don't. If you combine Strike Force, WEC, and the UFC, nobody has thrown more effective leg kicks than Tarek Safadine. <laughs> and those count as significant strikes, I believe. Absolutely they do.
0: When you landing hard enough. So take that into consideration at a $7,700 price, he kind of makes for a pretty good value pick, especially because I, I think he's talented enough where even if Duncan Kim decided to go back to his old ways, be smart, let's go. Let's go he's a fourth-degree black
1: belt in judo. He is world-class judo. Yeah, he and has, he doesn't use it. Never, um, he never uses
0: it. I believe he kind of got into it because the guy, was, he was going against...
1: Uh, Josh uh, Berkman, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Berkman fight.
0: Yeah, and Berkman was cleaning his clock, and then he was going for takedowns on the guy, which allowed Dong Young Kim to recover, put him in a bad situation, and ultimately win the fight because of it. Well, he was getting beat on his feet by Josh Berkman. So, I, I don't know. I just, I don't think he's got, if he's going to continue to fight stupid like that, there's absolutely no way he wins this fight.
1: Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, so we've uh, confirmed that Safadine is a huge value play. But with that said, I will throw out like maybe ten percent GPP flyer on Dong, just because he does have the capability to actually land one of those out crazy oh, yeah. strikes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you watch,
0: he's got he's got um, several uh, like fight of the night awards and KO. He's got KO of the year awards. So the guy
1: has the potential to the knockout, obviously. He's you not get awards because you don't have striking ability. But he's also been on the receiving end of a KO of the Year award. <laughs> yes, he has. All right. I believe twice. So, yeah. so moving on, all right, all right. I think the next fight that we're going to talk about is actually a really fun fight, in my opinion. Uh, TJ Dillashaw, the former Bantamweight champion, is going up against the overweight... Always missing in terms of, you know, like, I, basically, he's the 125 pound Kelvin Gastelum. I'm talking about John Lineker here, <laughs> uh, or as uh, Uncle Creepy likes to call him, Fat Boy. Uh, so, John Lineker finally conceded 125 pounds, moved up to 135 pounds, and has been on an actual, an absolute tear. Uh, you know, he's, he's winning fights against even guys like Dotson, who is a 25 pounder. I was really surprised that he was able to pull out the heart and the tenacity to beat John Dotson. That blew me away, uh, especially since Dotson against Dillashaw in a rematch would have been sweet. Um, for this fight, though, I even though Dillashaw is 8,800, I like um, I like Lineker at 7,400 only in GPPs because he can land one of those punches, but the problem is he, he plants his feet and he tries to throw three and four punch combos and against a guy like dillashaw you're just not going to land three and four punch combos you need to learn how to be light-footed you need to bounce around you need to be able to like basically counter dillashaw the way uh dominic cruz did in their title fight uh which was a split decision by the way i mean that was a crazy fight but in my opinion lineker is just a tiny bit live against dillashaw but dillashaw should easily cruise to a unanimous decision victory in this fight, he's just too smart. He's just too—he's too much of a vet. He's a pro. I mean, Dillashaw's a pro's pro, and I can't—I can't see the way Lineker wins this fight unless Dillashaw just decides to like hop, skip, and a jump right into a left hook. I just—I can't see it happening, know, especially since it's a 15-minute fight. If this was a 25-minute fight, I'd be way more on Lineker, probably like 30% more on Lineker. But Dillashaw in a 15-round fight, I think he's got an easy decision here. Uh, what's your take on this one? Yeah, and this is actually a fade because of everything you just said. You know, Adil Shah has got too many angles, counters too well, and just
0: is not going to engage and give any chance to Lineker, Lineker to whatever, to um, – he's not going to give him a chance to fight with him. He's. I honestly think this is going to be – Maybe seventy, eighty significant strikes landed at the most. Villa shot probably not a lot of takedowns, if any. Probably stay on the feet the whole time. I, I, I don't see value in either guy. To be honest, with you. I mean, I guess, like you said, um, I, I, no. I'm I'm probably just gonna fade both. I'm I'm not trying to make a ton of lineups this week. I'm trying to go a little conservative. So personally, I'm fading this fight hundred percent. Because I
1: just felt right from the beginning that this was the fight to fade of all the fights. This is the fight to fade. Yeah, and Dillashaw is the kind of name where your average like Joe Schmo UFC fans will probably have quite a bit of shares of him. So if you like, look at this fight as a double fade and only play Lineker in a couple of GPPs. It's a pretty safe bet in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I, I have nothing to add to this
0: fight. I, away from it. I think this is a fight that Dillashaw wins easily but boring and for DFS purposes this is the definition of a fight you
1: stay away from. Yeah, Absolutely. Alright, next up we finally got to the co-main event. The Bantamweight World Championship. The man who took TJ Dillashaw's spaghetti. That's a Tommy Toehold reference if anybody watches Tommy Toehold videos. Uh, he's going up against Cody Garbrandt. Cody no love. the only man who's gone on re- record as saying he's got to bang Paige Van Zandt. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a thing. Not a lot of people know that. Uh, yeah, he should sure did. And now she's starting fights over on uh, either
0: Twitter or Instagram or something like that with Donna Cruz. I guess they were exchanging pics with each other of... Some, I
1: don't know. I, it's with, I don't. I didn't follow it too well. I know they started getting into it pretty badly. It was pretty
0: funny. Yeah, it was and pretty I got, funny. Probably got ran right a block in Baltimore
1: or something like that. <laughs> well, uh, to me, I was actually surprised at the pricing on this. I thought it would have been a little farther apart, which would have enticed me to have more shares of Garbrandt. Uh, but they sort of priced it fairly. I mean, they gave. A lot of value to Garbrandt's puncher's chance, but in my opinion, you can't predict the fall of T.J. Dillashaw, or excuse me, the fall of Dominick Cruz. Uh, the fall of Dominick Cruz has yet to happen. We're yet to actually see him deteriorate. Even though he won a split decision against Dillashaw, we're talking about a guy who spent his entire career mimicking Dominick Cruz's style for Uriah Faber to train for multiple title fights. It's the only reason Dillashaw fights the way he does. is because he had to mimic Dominick Cruz for so many years. Uh, and then you see what the proof is in the pudding. I mean, he did an okay job against Cruz, but at the end of the day, you can't beat the original. I mean, he's literally Diet Cruz, and nothing beats the original. Uh, Cody Garbrandt, though, has unbelievable knockout power for a guy in his weight class. Uh, the way he was able to dismantle Thomas Almeida, a guy who was 21-0, I mean, we're talking about one of the brightest prospects, and the guy who should be fighting Cruz for the title if he would have won that fight. Uh It's it's crazy to think that Garbrandt just walked in there and whipped it out and stuck it on his chin and said, take a picture. (laughs) I mean, it was bad. That was a bloodbath on the Almeida side of things. Uh, To me, though, uh, Dominic Cruz uh, easily wins this fight over the course of five rounds, just like he always does in any fight. Uh, It's for a guy who moves so unpredictable. It's quite predictable to actually predict a Dominic Cruz fight And I'm never gonna pick against Cruz until I see him lose And so I'll keep being right until the day I'm wrong and then after that Actually happens then I'll start considering picking against Cruz But to me I've been watching Dominic Cruz fight for over ten years and I just I really appreciate what he does He coaxes guys into stand-up battles because he doesn't guard his face but he moves in a way that makes it to where I mean it's like he lives in the matrix and even though his matrix that he lives in is getting slower uh, just a little bit he he's still unbeatable in my opinion at 135 pounds I think the only way we see Cruz lose is if he actually fights a guy like Jose Aldo and moves up in weight uh, that's the only way I see it happening so I'm gonna be all over Cruz by decision and I know I a lot of people are big on Garbrandt's punching power and ability I have no problems with Garbrandt and GPPs but I can't justify taking Garbrandt more than a couple shares of my own money. Uh, with that said, Chris, go ahead. Let me have it. Let me hear all about Garbrandt. <laughs> uh,
0: I, I don't know. I, I just I have Dominic Cruz in my cash lineup because his ownership percentage is going to be through the roof. This guy will probably be minimum sixty-five, seventy to seventy-five percent owning cash easily. But I, feel, I feel like I have to play him in cash no matter what. Because I, yeah, he's, of course, he's got, the best, you know, he's got a five round fight. He's going to land a lot of punches if this goes five rounds and he just frustrates Cody the whole time, which he easily could. But Cody does have the speed and the power to do it. And with Cruz's with technique, the way he fights, where his head is out there and his hands are down, you are going to get tops someday. And,. Who can do it? A Cody Garbrandt can do it. Um, so yes, absolutely, he is a GPP flyer. But I wouldn't touch him in cash because just when you're on this type of a tear that Dominic Cruz is on, and you destroyed everybody you fought easily, not to a point easily. I mean, I shouldn't say easily because he did. You know, he's had his struggles. He's got hit too. He's not like unhitable either. You know, he has gotten hit quite a few times of twice. he has gotten hit oh, but the thing is he doesn't know how to roll with the punches quite well so if he gets hit it, it looks good on camera but he knows how to roll with the punches we so absorb them pretty well however Cody Garbrandt does have that power he's got those iron fists that can just pop right just I don't know it's the only reason I can easily see Cody Garbrandt in a couple of GPPs for me
1: and, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's tiring to it's, even it's, think it's, about. <laughs> well, that, I said it's tiring to even think about. I mean, if you think about the fact that we're going to watch Cody Garbrandt fight like Dominic Cruz, just the mental process of that as an MMA fan is exhausting. Yeah, I, I'm,
0: I'm, because I say I'm trying to go conservative with my lineup, tempted to to say Cody Garbrandt, but I feel like he's on a couple of GPPs.
1: I, I feel like you have to take a shot with Cody Garbrandt. Yeah, he he needs to be in a lineup with like Vittori and Hendricks. You know what I mean? Like that's gonna be a crazy line that could take down a GPP. Yeah. All right, let's just leave it at that then, and move on to the main event. Oh, and just in case, Ridge, you were counting. Dong, 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 dong. dong pretty sure that clears the over. I think I was the one who asked the bet on that one. Oh, that was you who asked the bet? I'm Uh, I'm still going to try to keep the family clean. All right. All right. Well, you know, I'm just talking about a South Korean guy, right? (laughs) Of course. Of course. Of
0: course.
1: All right. Dong, dong, dong. (laughs) All right. Main event time. Amanda Nunez versus Ronda Rousey. Now... it is bad yeah whatever (laughs) this whole promotional shit that's like going on with her like i don't even want to get into it because i could talk 30 minutes just on how much i hate how they (laughs) how they promoted this fight and the fact that they let her miss media obligations and all this other crap i mean we're talking about the same company that banned nick diaz and pulled him from a george st pierre fight because he didn't show up to a media obligation I mean, suck. Yeah. I'm sorry it's a family show or whatever, but suck my balls, UFC. That's a bunch of crap. All right. Dana White just, I don't know, I think he literally has a thing for Ronda Rousey and
0: would do anything to break up her and Travis Brown so he can have his shot with her. Like, he is obsessed with this woman, obsessed yeah,
1: it, with her. It's pretty awkward, actually.
0: It's a little awkward. Yeah, I don't want
1: to talk about it anymore. I don't No. Oh. Well, let's look at the bright side. Amanda Nunez has cinder block fists, and she gets to punch Ronda Rousey. Uh, I'm trying to be unbiased here, but let's be honest. I, I, I'll be, I'll put my my official pick right out there. I think uh, Ronda Rousey is going to get obliterated. I think that there's – First round. Yeah, absolutely. These are two first-round fighters. Let's get to the actual ta- brass tacks of it. These are two first-round fighters. That's what they do. The only time Rhonda's ever gone into uh, later rounds is when she decided she wanted to beat the piss out of Misha Tate for three rounds before she finally submitted her. I mean, we're talking like dismantled her face, and she can't even throw a straight punch. You know, this was before Misha, you know, became a better fighter and and learned from that loss and eventually won the title from Holly Holm after Holm beat uh, Ronda. But, you know, to me, Ronda Rousey, As long as she's under the tutelage of Edmund Tarverdian, she's never going to get back to the level that she thinks she's at or ever was at. You know, her mystique carried her for so long, but it ain't like she's Conor McGregor. I mean, Conor McGregor has pinpoint accuracy. That is one thing that Ronda Rousey will never have is pinpoint accuracy. Now, I know that the one exception to the rule is the Betch-Cohea fight, but Betch-Cohea has gone on to lose to Rocky Pennington, and I forget who else she lost to. But, you know, basically, Betch-Cohea's true colors were shown after the Rousey fight. Uh, Rhonda, we don't even know where her head's at. I mean, we're talking about a chick who four months ago, her arms looked like speed bags. You know, I mean, like all the TMZ photos of her coming out of Starbucks looked like she was in there drinking five Starbucks before she left with one. I mean, the woman just doesn't take care of herself in the offseason, and she she does have a ton of natural talent. Her submission game is legit. If she if it goes to the ground, Amanda Nunez is probably fucked, but as long as the fight starts standing, Amanda Nunez is going to have a chance to lay her out, and in my opinion, she should throw a front kick to the face and end this thing in about six seconds. Uh, with that said, you can't count out Ronda Rousey in GPPs. They're both first round finishers, which means someone's going down. I have no problems with people taking shares of her, but for 8,400, Ronda Rousey to me is overpriced. This should have been the 8,100, 8,100 fight. This should have been the 50 50 fight, in my opinion. But if anything, Amanda Nunes should have been the favorite. You know, I mean, I don't know what Vegas odds are on this one offhand, but Amanda Nunes has won the title and proven that she's the best fighter currently for, you know, quite a while. Um, You got anything you want to add to this?
0: Ronda Rousey was just better than all the other women because the other women were not good fighters. And it's just, I had I don't really, I don't mean, I'm not disrespecting women in general. I just don't think obviously women are not as talented as men in the fighting you know, overall, overall there are a few exceptions. Amanda Nunez is that exception. She hits like Cody Garbrandt does. She hits like some of these men that we just talked about. She hits that hard. She is that legit. She is butch. I remember I was talking to one of my cousins, uh, you know, she's about my age or whatever, in her 30s, and I'm just kind of talking to her about USC, and she sees a picture of the Nunez-Rousey promo, and she's like, whoa, is that who Rousey's fighting? Uh-huh. It's like, I don't think Rousey's going to win this fight. She just looks so scary. I just started laughing. It's like, yep, yeah, she, is, she is not going to win this fight. I honestly will have probably zero shares of Ronda Rousey. I am not even kidding. I have no respect for her game when it comes to the elite. She's not an elite fighter, not even close. She is a middle-of-the-pack fighter who was ahead of her time because she had one thing that was better than everybody else, which was her judo. Amanda Nunez can defend against the judo flip. She doesn't have to match it. She just has to defend against it. She doesn't have to match her ground game. She just has to defend against it. She is more than capable doing that but even if this fight goes to the ground i'm not even concerned i honestly think nunez destroys her in all facets and this doesn't even go to the second round this is over and this is the retirement fight for ronda rousey and we are going to have two fighters retire
1: on friday yeah i mean ronda's pretty much already retired anyway i feel like this is a cash fight i feel like she's only doing this because a couple of her movies fell through and She didn't exactly make an impression on the set of Roadhouse. I don't know if you've read about that, but she's the new Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. It's like the worst thing I've ever heard. No, I have not uh, seen that. Yeah, and so far the test footage is not going well. Uh, The whole concept, like she basically got herself into the back pocket of some producer who thought it was a good idea, and now she's Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. It's the worst thing I've ever heard. Uh, I don't even know what they're going to call her. I mean, Daltina. I mean, his name was Dalton, so I mean. I, I know. I've watched Roadhouse a thousand times because, you
0: know, Jeff Healy is in there. He's probably one of my favorite guitar players and musicians of all time. So I just sit there and jam that whole soundtrack
1: all day long. I just, I love it. Absolutely love that show. I, I, I just. just...
0: It's going to be in that movie it makes me want to throw up right now. I did not even know that, and I want to throw up right now.
1: Yeah, just the fact that we're going to hear Ronda Rousey say, nobody puts baby in corner. <laughs> <laughs> and just to, and to try to believe
0: her as a person who's going to fight against these tough men in a bar, I'm sorry, she's not no. Ronda Rousey is average fighter in the women's division at best. Um, she's, I don't know, I, watch her punch, she's got terrible stand-up, terrible punches, terrible accuracy, no head movement, no footwork, and she's being trained by, trained by Edmund versus Men Nunez, who's an American Top Team and has been for, I yeah. believe, a, a little over a year now, yeah. and
1: is just making tremendous strides. She's getting the best training, oh, and she's a lesbian, too. Lesbians are always tougher than straight always. I, I think that uh, Manda Nunes has grown yeah, since Kat. yeah, since her since her loss to Kat Zingano. She's gone on a tear. She almost beat Kat in that fight, too. Uh, yeah. Since since her loss to Kat Zingano, she's really changed her career for the better. Obviously, she's made it to the top, uh, whereas Ronda Rousey is stagnating with probably the worst coach in MMA. I can't think of anybody who's worse than Edmund Tarverian. I mean, he's just a know-it-all who's addicted to gambling and has no business – being a coach for any legitimate fighter i mean just look at travis brown's career since he went there he left greg jackson's camp to go train with his girlfriend and he's gotten the shit kicked out of him uh three times since it happened he was a 16 and 1 fighter now he's an 18 and 4 fighter he's just it's it's not great all right before um, i i believe edmund I, I heard this
0: on i probably did i can't remember where i thought of that and i apologize not 100% accurate, but he's got, his fighters are like 8 and 30 something, like 8 wins and 30 some losses over the last, whatever I I apologize, these are another thing sometimes I'm not the greatest, at writing things down I hear a lot of things and see a lot of things and find a lot of things and you should probably take some better notes sometimes, but yeah, Edmund's fighters have like 8 wins and 30 some losses in the last 40 some fights, that
1: is yeah, Jake Ellenberger Jake Ellenberger has looked like shit. If you're eight thirty-two, eight thirty-two as a baseball hitter, you're still not, you know, you're still not being successful. You're not doing anything. There, there's no way of, you know, putting that number, those two numbers together, and being good, especially in fighting. Yeah, that's a two-fifty batting average. <laughs> that's, a, that's atrocious. And
0: if you're, yeah, if you're batting two-fifty or whatever as a fighter.
1: Alrighty. We are approaching the 70-minute mark for this video, so I think I'm going to call it a night for UFC 207. Man, do I wish we got Cain Velasquez versus Fabricio Verdun. Man, do I wish that uh, was a thing. Ugh. We lost the cash option. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, We lost We lost, lost, the we, option. We lost <laughs> back in the day in football, they used to have what they call the stone-cold lead pipe locks, and Cain Velasquez was that guy. <laughs> He was going to win that fight, and he was going to win it very handily and score a lot of points while doing it. All righty. With that said, everybody, thank you for listening to this week's edition of MMA Cheat Sheet Live. And coming into 2017, I hope you hear a lot more of us. I hope that we can make time and find a way to get more podcasts out there, even if it's just one of us. Maybe it's just Chris. Maybe it's just me. Who knows? Maybe even Ridge will pick up the mic again. But – With that said, we bid you farewell and we thank you for another good listen. Enjoy that traffic jam you're stuck in right now listening to us. Good night, everybody.